Hey there, welcome back to the Today's Tavar Governor Show. We're watching um, Nazi Trump. Or the building of a nuclear weapon cheaply. Let's put that box, let's put that book in with Trump. No, they plant documents. I mean, they have a terrible reputation. Look at the kind of things. This is just a small part, what I've read. And who would want to be with them? What I've read. We're safer in that Chinese restaurant that we just mentioned, to be honest. Brought back up the, the combination Chinese restaurant bowling alley, which yeah, definitely exists. Um, I mean, that's just, it's, it's batshit stuff. And when I watch that, you cannot help but go, I just watched a confession. That yeah. is a confession. Yeah. And, you know, I know where still like uh, you know there hasn't been any indictments yet we're not at that phase of things but all of these comments that donald trump makes at these rallies will ultimately be used when donald trump is charged in a big way and like you, you got to assume you know I, he doesn't have really any good attorneys at this point but if they were good attorneys they'd be ripping their hair out or what's left of it at watching donald trump make these statements because he continues to incriminate himself and also we know donald trump master of projection it is the one thing that he is very good at if he is saying oh they put these they must have put these nuclear documents on me you'd know that that also confirms the reporting that there were nuclear documents on him and now i'm wondering if that is the specific nature of the nuclear documents that he's talking talking about, which would frankly be horrifying if it's how we make or destroy nuclear weapons. I mean, it's it's chilling. Honestly. In the same speech, Brett, Donald Trump also said that those records were at Mar-a-Lago in the first place, that they're mine, 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 that I should keep these records, they belong to me, that I took a small box of records. So at the same time he's claiming it's planted, he's also saying that I took the records and that they should be sent back to me. He also falsely claims under the Presidential Records Act that the documents should be returned to him, which is the exact opposite of what the Presidential Records Act says. So he has both of those positions as well that he's saying. And that one where he says, no, I took records at Mar-a-Lago. There was a small amount of boxes that was there and they belong to me and they should be returned was also an important, I, I thought, confession as well there. And then as you talk about what we just said at that rally, Brett, and we now go to Christina Bob. Uh, Christina Bob, who... By all accounts, she stated that she was Donald Trump's lawyer, right? I mean, she stated that I'm I'm representing him. And people were like, oh, that was just in connection with election-related issues. No, 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 no. Specifically, as it relates to the search warrant executed at Mar-a-Lago, I saw it. I heard it with my own eyes. Yeah, don't 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 you don't you gaslight me here. Do not <laughs> don't you gaslight me here. In fact, you know, it became such an issue that what because Trump took no action after the initial search of Mar-a-Lago and Christina Bob kept going on all the shows, the thing that ultimately made Trump make this Hail Mary throat that ultimately ended up sitting with Judge Eileen Cannon was Laura Ingram calling out Christina Bob on the air for not taking actions that Laura Ingram thought the Trump legal team should be taking. That's how you even know even further. Like it, it was directly connected through that Fox News, it, that all, all those hits that she was doing on Fox News. And now we're finding out that Christina Bob has been actually cooperating with the Department of Justice, has been at least answering their questions in regard to the Mar-a-Lago search. And Ben, what's she doing? Well, because she signed a declaration on June 3rd that she gave to the top counterintelligence official 
at the Department of Justice stating she gave him the top counterintelligence official a Redwell document that was sealed and said there are no other records responsive to the Department of Justice's grand jury subpoena, which was issued a month back in May. By the way, did not submit any objections at all. So there was no assertion of executive privilege or attorney-client privilege. As a lawyer, if you were going to make those objections, when you get a subpoena, you don't just give a red weld and then a declaration that says there's no other records uh, unless you don't intend to object. So that was one of the other issues with Judge Eileen Cannon's order that just didn't make any sense at all. It's like you waived your executive privilege objection. You waived attorney-client privilege objections. By the way, none of those apply in the first place, but you got to at least assert it in response to handing over the documents. But she said, based upon what has been told to me, a diligent search was conducted, and here are all the remaining records. Nothing exists. And so what we're now learning is that she actually asked for that language to be added based on the language of based upon what was told to me because she was being pressured to sign that declaration by Evan Corcoran, another Trump lawyer. And Evan Corcoran at that point in time, as of May, and even before then dating back to 2021, was the main contact with the National Archives and the Department of Justice. And so they basically used Christina Bob. Um, as their pawn to sign this declaration and to state that all of the records were turned over. Um, and one of the things to mention as well, though, Brett, about Christina Bob now saying she's not uh, the lawyer, in one of these recent uh, rallies that she went to, I think it was the one in Michigan, but I could be confusing the rallies. She's a host of the rallies now. And one of the things she says as a host, she goes, I was never actually the lawyer in the first place. So what I said to you was, well, then there's no attorney-client privilege. I said, watch what the Department of Justice does. They're going to reach out to her right away now, and they're going to get her interview because there's no attorney-client privilege. So they held this meeting this past Friday with her, and she said that I was told, I, first off, she says, I didn't do a diligent search. She says there was no search that I conducted at all, but that I was told to do it and to sign this declaration by Evan Corcoran without actually looking for it. That's why I wrote based on what was told to me and that I couldn't vouch for the fact that it was a diligent search in the first place. So now it shifts to Evan Corcoran. you got lawyers fighting lawyers. As I've always said, what does MAGA stand for? Make attorneys get attorneys. Corcoran's lawyered up. She's lawyered up. She's pointing the finger at Corcoran. And ultimately, when it comes to Corcoran, who told Corcoran? Whose bidding was Corcoran doing to lie about the records? Ding, ding, ding. The same person who was actually the one who packed up 15 boxes back in January and lied to the Department of National George H.W. Bush. Chinese restaurant slash bowling alley. You know, it was Trump who packaged these documents himself and thought that they were just going to go away, and they didn't go away. And then they had Christina Bob lie on June 3rd to the top counterintelligence official at the Department of Justice, thinking they were going to go away. And then on August 8th, within the first few minutes of the search, boom, they find these classified records which some of those records now appear to be nuclear secrets. Regardless, they are the highest level of top secret classified records. And now what we also know about this investigation is that there was 40 some odd folders 
marked classified or marked for military eyes, that their contents were completely empty, and that there are more documents missing, which the Department of Justice has let Trump lawyers know that they believe there's still documents being hidden in places like Trump Tower and Ben Minster and other locations. But this was a big story today, that Christina Bob turning against, not necessarily turning against, but pointing the finger at another Trump lawyer for making her sign a false declaration. But still, it's like, you're an adult, Christina. That's Bob. what I was, was going to say. Right. At what point you're did you not can't you take your own responsibility? Like, are you really able to just get off by saying, oh, like Evan Corcoran made me do it, which is what she's saying. And then Evan Corcoran's going to go, oh, Trump made me do it ultimately. Like, oh, man, can she get this barred for her, I don't know, incompetence here for how she's acted in this case? The short answer is yes. The broader answer mm -hmm. is it seems from the article that I read with the way uh, they said mm -hmm. sources familiar said that she likely isn't, you know, a criminal. Tar it seemed like she was the source mm -hmm. of right. it, trying to send a message to Corcoran and others is how I interpreted or someone from her team. What a healthy world, world of relationships that they've got there. Just to But this is what MAGA does. And this is what we talk about all the time. They all just blackmail each other. They all try and throw each other under the bus. And I think mm -hmm. she felt like she was being thrown under the bus because... Well, she was thrown under the bus, and now she didn't want to just go down with the sinking ship. She wanted to take people down with her who were complicit. I and Jordy, that point. was your point, though, why she said that she wasn't the lawyer, um, even though you can't just say, I'm not wearing my lawyer hat. So when I do something unethical, I can't lose my law license for it. Like, you're always a lawyer. You know, like lawyers who get DUIs, lawyers who engage in acts of moral turpitude while not being a lawyer can still lose their legal license for not conducting themselves consistent with the ethical standards of a lawyer. So if that was her intent, the outcome is not going to be what she anticipates, but she's clearly distancing herself from that lawyer role. And one thing to mention as well, we're recording this on Monday. On Tuesday, the Department of Justice brief is due before the Supreme Court in connection with Trump's uh, petition to vacate the 11th Circuit's order. Um, the 11th Circuit's order returned the classified records to the Department of Justice, and Trump is asking the Supreme Court to order the Department of Justice to return those documents back to the special master process. And Trump is arguing that the 11th Circuit had no appellate jurisdiction in the first place. Like he's telling the 11th Circuit, 11th Circuit, you shouldn't have even listened to this case, really. The 11th Circuit doesn't know when they have jurisdiction. You had two Trump appointees, one Obama appointee. You think they don't realize when they could rule on a case? But the petitions before a MAGA extremist, Clarence Thomas, so we'll see what happens we'll there. We will see, but I, you know, I think DOJ is going to absolutely eviscerate those arguments in this filing. I'm excited for that to be filed, and I'm excited. You know what they're going to say, Brett? Yeah. I'm going to predict what they're going to say. Let's do it. The issue is a moot issue to begin with, because after the 11th Circuit granted uh, the motion for partial stay returning the classified records, Judge Eileen Cannon modified her underlying order to basically exempt the classified records from the special master's directives. And so whether she did that on purpose or just because she's inexperienced or wh whatever the reason is, I think the issue is ultimately moot because the underlying special master appointment order right now has been amended and changed since the 11th Circuit ruled. And therefore, 
this whole other issue before the Supreme Court. They're dealing with a mooted order. If Trump wanted to appeal something, I think he'd have to appeal the amended order, setting aside the fact that they're completely wrong about the 11th Circuit not having appellate jurisdiction. That's, I think, going to be an argument that you're going to see tomorrow. It's very in the weeds, but we like to get a little bit in the weeds here. But getting out of the weeds, Brett, I want you to break down for us this Kanye West ordeal. And I know for you, it's particularly hits in a different way. Tell us why. Yeah, well, first, I just want to say one other thing about Christina Bob and why she's of great interest to me. And that's because, you know, she was saying that she was involved in the election process. I was involved in the election fraud, the election fraud. Christina Bob was there in the war rooms that they had leading up to January 6th. And so I think she actually is an interesting link from one criminal investigation into Donald Trump into another criminal investigation into Donald Trump, which is the investigation into January 6th. And you can see her in an image that I'm pulling up right now, you see John Eastman, the insurrectionist, who's, um, you see Rudy Giuliani, you see Christina Bob right there in the middle. So she was right in the middle of all this action at the Willard War Room. And so that's why I'm also very curious to see what was going on, you know, with, with her there and how these investigations kind of tie into one another. Um, Connie Mann is really upsetting. And first, I'll, I'll just do full disclosure that I have been like the world's biggest Kanye West fan since I've been like 14 years old. So it's so incredibly upsetting to me. Not that you have to hear my whole history of loving Kanye West, but like <laughs> legit, but, but my love of Kanye West is not aging well currently. Um, but I literally <laughs> like, like, Elon from, Musk, man, you, you really know how to choose them. Well, from really from the college dropout through his like, not his latest uh, couple albums, but like I would always get every album right away. I'd always listen to it like nonstop. I'd be the first to sign up for when the shoes would drop or the clothes or like you name it. I was there. I was there at Kanye's show at Madison Square Garden when he wasn't playing the big rooms, but he was playing the small rooms. So over the past few years. Uh, being a Kanye fan has been quite difficult, and I really have not been able, been able to listen to him. Like with all the Trump stuff, and you could, you know, support whoever you want to support, but at a certain point, you get to a point where you're just being offensive for the sake of being offensive, and you're being cruel to other people. And I just cannot support you, no matter how much I like your art. And that's where Kanye is for me right now. I mean, his music comes up on my phone; I have to skip it. Um, so Kanye West, you know, there there was a fashion week last week. Um, all these fashion shows. Kanye West debuted his fashion line, which made him the talk of right wing media. Which is he made a shirt that said "White Lives Matter" on it. That was his whole thing. I mean, he's going to be loud. He's going to gain the attention. Okay. Disgusting. I thought I thought the whole thing was disgusting. I thought his reasoning didn't make any sense. He tried to say he was being misunderstood, of course, because he had this White Lives Matter messaging. The whole right-wing ecosystem started going crazy. Kanye's, he is a genius, this guy. You ever noticed, like, when Kanye was speaking out against uh, the right wing and speaking out against George W. Bush, Kanye was the worst person ever. But now that he is aligning with their racist beliefs and is promoting their white supremacist ideology, all of a sudden he is their number one. Cannot love him more. And so, you know, he makes the round. He, he ends up getting on Tucker Carlson's show. Tucker Carlson does, like, a two-night special on Kanye West. They're one of the most bizarre, one of the most uncomfortable interviews and interactions that I've ever seen where you could really, you just see how big of a phony, you just see how big of a phony Tucker Carlson is throughout this whole process while he's dealing with Kanye. And you see how much he's using 
Kanye West in this interview. It's honestly, it's disgusting. Honestly, it's taking advantage of somebody. And I'm not saying this to uh, eliminate any of the things that Kanye says, but it's taking advantage of somebody who has clear Don't mental feel illness sorry for Kanye and has expressed West. His, his struggles with mental illness, in my opinion. And I think a lot of the right wing ecos... right now is actually involves taking advantage of people with mental illness so there was that whole saga right okay so whatever he says something offensive you could say offensive things in this country it's fine you'll get a lot of hate for it whatever then kanye goes and doubles down and he starts making a series of just virally anti-semitic just overtly anti-semitic disgusting comments he first does it on instagram he gets suspended from Instagram. He can't go on there anymore. He starts posting really crude, disgusting posts about Mark Zuckerberg on Twitter. Uh, Elon Musk welcomes Kanye back to Twitter with open arms. He goes, oh, welcome back. Not 24 hours later, Kanye West makes one of the most despicable tweets that I've ever seen, and I've seen a whole host of tweets. This is also, by the way, about 24 to 48 hours after the House GOP, from their official account, drops this tweet, which says... Kanye, Elon, Trump. I mean, I, that's the official House Judiciary GOP. I mean, look, Brett, we talked about that guy, Nick Adams and Benny Johnson, and the reality is those people are what complete clowns. But in their clownishness, if they're posting this, we could all have a chuckle and be like, look, these are fascist clowns. They're horrible. We should also take note of how dangerous they could be. But this isn't Nick Adams. Right. That's not Benny Johnson. That is the House Judiciary Committee GOP. That is the group of people who would be making decisions that impact our judicial Outrageous. system, our democracy. Why do you get Kanye, Elon, Trump, and they lean in on that because, because Kanye posts a disgusting anti-Semitic statement. Yeah, if you notice the, the people who, and let's let's show the statement uh, first, but the people who came to support uh, Kanye were all these hard-right, alt-right, like straight-up Nazis in the Republican Party, including Paul Gosar, who has attended numerous Nazi events. All of a sudden, Paul, Gos Paul Gosar, huge Kanye West fan. Huge Kanye. Uh, huge Kanye fan. But let's pull up Kanye's tweet that, that Twitter ended up taking down and uh, suspending Kanye for. Um, it's hard to even read, but I, I will for the sake of the audio listeners. But he goes, I'm a bit sleepy tonight, but when I wake up, I'm going, and this is his misspelling of, of this, Death, I'm going DEFCON 3 on Jewish people, all caps. The funny thing is I actually can't be anti-Semitic because black people are actually Jew. Also, you guys have toyed with me and try and tried to blackball anyone whoever opposes your agenda, which I assume he means the, the 
Jewish agenda. I don't, I don't, I don't know what he's uh, exactly going for there. But you really don't get any more overt than that. You don't get any more overt when by saying, when I wake up, I'm going DEFCON 3 on Jewish people. First of all, I've never went to sleep with thoughts that the next day I'm going to just be, I'm going to go after a religion or a race or, or anybody. You ever go to sleep going, tomorrow... What is Def I'm going DEFCON three on the Jews. It's it's a it's a it's a wild thing to even think, yes. let alone tweet. It's absolutely disgusting and anti-Semitic, and the reactions just have been so unfortunately predictable. First, let me talk about the media reaction, which I think was just abhorrent. And this is why a Midas touch. We always say, choose your words wisely when you are a media organization. Okay, if somebody says something bad. You need to use the right language to call it out. You cannot waver. You cannot equivocate. If somebody says something that's fascist, call it fascist, okay? If somebody says something that's anti-Semitic, call it anti-Semitic. This should not be difficult. So one of the first comments I saw was of no surprise to me. It was from Fox News, who tweeted out, yay, I like to call him yay at Fox News, yay, locked out of Twitter due to, and they put quotes around the word, violation of Twitter policies, notably not saying that he said he was going to go, quote, DEFCON 3 on the Jewish people. He just, oh, he violated those woke Twitter policies, that must be it. But perhaps the most upsetting was when you saw the other, quote unquote, mainstream media start to cover this. And I will let you know up front that some of these media organizations ended up changing their headlines due to public pressure and outrage. So outrage does, in fact, work. But I want to show you the first draft of their headlines that they ran with for this very blatantly anti-Semitic statement. So here are four posts. You have the Associated Press, you have the New York Times, you have the Wall Street Journal, and you have Reuters. And so Reuters said Kanye West Twitter Instagram accounts restricted over alleged anti-Semitic posts. Associated Press, Kanye West Twitter and Instagram accounts have been locked because of posts by the rapper that were deemed anti-Semitic. New York Times, Kanye West set off one controversy after another last week. He wore a White Lives Matter shirt at Paris Fashion Week and made remarks on Instagram that were widely criticized as anti-Semitic. Wall Street Journal, the social media platform, removed a purported anti-Semitic tweet. So you see how the media just cowers and how they are so afraid of their own shadow here. When You just need to call it out for what it is. This was a blatantly anti-Semitic statement. It was disgusting. And then in case he didn't realize by saying he was going DEFCON 3 on Jewish people, if you didn't realize that was anti-Semitic, he followed it up by saying, well, after all, who do you think invented cancel culture? And the implication of his answer is the Jews is, is the implication there. I mean, that's why we need to call this out. We've seen what this rhetoric leads to in the past. And I think, you know, when I was saying how I, I had this nice short break over the weekend, and then I went back on Twitter and I saw this. But seeing this anti-Semitism that's out there and festering and being repeated by these really influential people with huge megaphones, and then it not really being defended by the people who we rely upon to defend it, to prevent that, to protect democracy, to protect our society, it's really disheartening. Honestly, and Brett, I hate speech. The press headline that was the, that that one is shocking to me. We all know the history with Reuters. We know the history with the other publications. The Associated Press one that surprised me. Uh, no, Jordy, I, I agree with you. Um, the hate speech there, not though, it's being directed at all groups, right? It's being directed at all minority groups, and 
one of the things that we're seeing, though, is, is that Republican leadership, MAGA Republican leadership, though, is not just okay with it, but they are filing lawsuits against organizations like Twitter for having moderation policies that would prevent things like that from taking place on the platform. And then you just see statements like from Indiana Attorney General uh, MAGA Republican Todd Rokita, who goes, the constant hypocrisy from the media is at an all-time high. They have now gone after Kanye for his new fashion line, his independent thinking, and for having opposing thinking. thoughts from the norm of Hollywood. Independent thinking, and for having, I mean, come on there. And I think a lot of the media, look, the media is cowardly to begin with, number one. Um, but number two, um, they are also in a situation where they are intimidated by MAGA Republican attorney generals and people who sue them all the time for not using a word like alleged. And they are so afraid of their own shadows right now in this climate that, ironically, they've allowed to fester mm-hmm. by not calling it out in the first place. There's now a situation where they've basically allowed these groups to have power over their ability to speak the truth by not calling it out. And if they don't, it's only going to get worse, Brett. But great breakdown of Kanye. Jordy, any comments you want to make there at the end of that about the Kanye situation? It was a great wrap-up of it. I mean, it's just really sad to see play out. And look, you could have mental illness, but that's a, that doesn't excuse you from being like clearly anti-Semitic and, and spewing hate. I'm, you, you ultimately have to differentiate you know, but between the two. And it's just really sad to see the Kanye you know, just devolvement in all of this. It just shows really, though, it, it's kind of all aspects, right? It's it's the Republican Party's racist, quick nature to defend anybody who says anything racist. And racist coincidentally, anything in the realm kind, of independent thinking. Oh, he's a free thinker. That's why you don't like him. He's a free thinker. Hmm. Oh, being a free thinker always tends to mean spouting Nazi-type rhetoric to, to yeah. Republicans. I mean, if you realize any time they say, oh, you're just being a free thinker. That's why they're mad. Always the case. Russian and propaganda. I, Russian propaganda. And I think they always and about this information. Uh, yes. And it's also they, the same line of tracking with prop- uh, I'm just asking questions. It's that it's on that same trajectory of all that nonsense that they always say. Yeah, and you know, I think they also unfortunately I think it's disgusting. And like you said, Jordy, I'm not excusing what Kanye's saying in any way. Having a mental illness does not make you an anti-Semite. Those are two separate, distinct things. Let's be clear here. But I do think the Republican Party jumps at the opportunity to take advantage of people with mental illness. And I think that's actually, I, I think a lot of the MAGA movement is about that. And I think when you look at even what they're doing in Georgia with Herschel Walker, I think Herschel, they're taking advantage of Herschel Walker as well. Once again, doesn't absolve Herschel Walker of all the horrible things that he has done, but I think it's very clear what the Republican Party is yeah, doing there. To, uh, and then you have us. people, the people in power, who go and start Locking defending Trump that up. rhetoric and defending that behavior. And they try to deflect by saying, oh, but I support Israel, as if that's the, the case in point. And the Indiana AG, when he started getting heat by, and by the way, all those comments were made after Kanye's anti-Semitic remarks, the one that Ben made, when the AG of Indiana started making the comment. And this is the guy who smeared that doctor uh, who ended up performing the life-saving abortion procedure for that young girl. Um he, he doubles down with this. My sp- post was bag. specifically and clearly aimed at the hypocrisy of the media and Hollywood elites. I'll tell you right now, 
as a Jewish person that saying it was aimed at the media and the Hollywood elites is just another way that these people go and say the Jewish people. That kind right. of what I said. This is another dog whistle to that. Not anything to do with his other comments. And then he goes on to say that he has support for the Jewish community and Israel. It reminded me of the uh, the Thirty Rock line with with Jack Donaghy and Liz Lemon. I'm not sure. I'm like the biggest Thirty Rock fan, so I pulled this because I had a feeling we'd be speaking about it. But uh, you have Jack Donaghy who goes to Liz Lemon. Um, you know, he plays a television executive in the show, and he goes, "The television audience doesn't want your elitist, East Coast alternative intellectual left." wing and Liz Lemon goes, Jack, just say Jewish. This is taking forever. <laughs> it's one of the best jokes. In, it's one of the best jokes in 30 Rock. But that really and, and he plays a a stereotypical kind of, you know, conservative right wing executive in the show. Um, and so I think that sums up what we're seeing here personally. It's just it's really upsetting. It's on to all, up to all of us to really continue to speak out uh, about it, um, because then you have people like in addition to the actual Republican Party, like these AGs, these politicians, you then have the influencers who then pick it up also and go, like Candace Owens comments, she, she goes, you cannot look at Kanye West's comments, honestly. You cannot look at Kanye West's comments if you're being an honest person here and say that it was in any way whatsoever anti-Semitic. And I'll play you just a little bit of her comments. We could talk about it briefly, but then we'll get it, move on from this. That was the tweets. And people subsequently demanded that the tweet be taken down for anti-Semitism. Now, if you are an honest person, you did not think this tweet was anti-Semitic. You did not think that he wrote this tweet because he hates or wants to genocide Jewish people. This does not represent the beginning of the Holocaust. That's if you're an honest person, you'll meet that. You, you will admit that, right? If you're an honest person, when you read this tweet, you had no idea what the hell he was talking about. I had, I had no idea. When I read this tweet, what the hell he was talking about? This tweet inspired questions, not answers. First and foremost, what is DEFCON 3? Do you mean DEFCON 3, which would be a military defense position, not an offense for those of you that are offended, a military defense all right, enough. I mean, it's, 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 you know, at the same time you see that, Jordy, you have uh, states run by MAGA Republican legislators as well, using the government to penalize corporations for pursuing private corporate agendas focused on ESG, which stands for environmental, social, governance, investing. In other words, trying one of the factors companies can consider is not purely short-term profit motive, but being an ESG investor is, can we focus a little bit on, will it help the environment? Will it help social causes? Um, how are we impacting yeah, society? And South Carolina just announced that it will be pulling money from a private equity group over its ESG. The state's treasurer plans to withdraw $200 million from that private equity firm by year end, joining states like Louisiana and Utah. Red states have committed to pulling investments to punish the firm over its investment to uh, commitment to environmental investing policy, social policies, and other 
um, governance decisions. And that's what we also see. I mean, that's what they're doing. And we didn't mention there as well, but Texas, it's what DeSantis is doing, trying to punish corporations like Disney. I mean, it's literally using the levers of government. You know, at the same time, this is where this is related. At the same time, they're saying, we need to let Kanye West sprout racist things and what a great thing. That's what free speech is. Kanye West should go and spread this hate everywhere. We as the government should get involved and punish private businesses for making private business decisions to support the environment, social causes, and make important more equitable governance investing decisions. That's the companies who we want to attack if you are doing business uh, in a Republican legislative uh, or state run by Republican legislators. I want to talk about, though, Brett, one of our partners, Raycon. Lately, I've been Ooh. listening Ooh, to a lot of... I've been listening to a lot of audiobooks recently, um, and it's been great by listening to it on Raycon. And one reason it's been great is the sound quality on these wireless earbuds from Raycon are incredible. Raycon's everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever with optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit. These earbuds are like so comfortable and they will not budge. Trust me, Raycons give you eight hours of playtime and 32 hours of battery life. They're priced just right. You get quality audio at half the price of other premium audio brands, which is why I love it as well. It's no wonder Raycons everyday earbuds have over 50,000 five-star reviews. Wow. Some of the things that I like, they have this thing called awareness mode. So yes. if I'm running, I can hear my surroundings so I don't get fully enveloped in that audiobook. And then there's an earbud tap function where I can pretty much control everything that's going on just by tapping it while I'm walking or while I'm running. So go to buyraycon.com, B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com today and use the code MIDAS15. Why do you ask? Is it 15? Because you'll get 15% off your Raycon order. That's code MIDAS15 at buyraycon.com, B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N.com. And then you go there and then you type in the code MIDAS15, buyraycon.com, code MIDAS15. 15 and get that 15% off your Raycon order. I also want to tell everybody, if you like this independent media you're watching right now, and you want to support the growth of this network, we have no outside investors at all. We're powered by democracy and fueled by you. I'm already so head to patreon.com slash... Right. That's pretty great. I didn't know that about Kanye West. Well, I mean, I knew part of it when he was sucking up to Trump and probably trying to take away votes away from Biden. Uh By running um, a president, black votes. 
think it was um it was a ploy to take black votes away from Biden. Who was the real Pontius Pilate? The man who killed Christ. Fuck Columbus. I think for Indigenous Peoples Day, we should listen to chapter one of Howard Zinn's, Howard Zinn's Chapter one. Audio Anarchy. This recording is a product of Audio Anarchy. A People's History of the United States by Howard Zinn. Chapter one. Columbus, the Indians, and human progress. Arawak men and women, naked, tawny, and full of wonder, emerged from their villages onto the island's beaches and swam out to get a closer look at the strange big boat. When Columbus and his sailors came ashore, carrying swords, speaking oddly, the Arawaks ran to greet them, brought them food, water, gifts. He later wrote of this in his log. They brought us parrots and bowls of cotton and spears and many other things, which they exchanged for the glass beads and hawks bells. They willingly traded everything they owned. They were well built with good bodies and handsome features. They do not bear arms and do not know them, for I showed them a sword. They, do not they took it by arms. the edge and cut themselves out of ignorance. They have no iron. Their spears are made of cane. They would make fine servants. With 50 men, we could Famous subjugate quote. them all and make them do whatever we want. Wow. These Arawaks of the Such Bahama Islands evil. were much like Indians on the mainland, who were remarkable, European observers were to say, again and again, for their hospitality, their belief in sharing. These traits did not stand out in the Europe of the Renaissance, dominated as it was by the religion of popes, the government of kings, the frenzy for money that marked Western civilization and its first messenger to the Americas, Christopher Columbus. Columbus wrote, As soon as I arrived in the Indies, on the first island which I found, I took some of the natives by force in order that they might learn and might give me information of whatever there is in these parts. The information that Columbus wanted most was, where is the gold? 
He had persuaded the king and queen of Spain to finance an expedition to the lands. The wealth, he expected, would be on the other side of the Atlantic, the Indies and Asia, gold and spices, for, like other informed people of his time, he knew the world was round and he could sail west in order to get to the far east. Spain was recently unified, one of the new modern nation-states, like France, England, and Portugal. Its population, mostly poor peasants, worked for the nobility, who were 2% of the population, and owned 95% of the land. Spain had tied itself to the Catholic Church, expelled all the Jews, driven out the Moors. Like other states of the modern world, Spain sought gold which was becoming the new mark of wealth, more useful than land because it could buy anything. There was gold in Asia, it was thought, and certainly silks and spices for Marco Polo and others had brought back marvelous things from their overland expeditions centuries before. Now that the Turks had conquered Constantinople and the Eastern Mediterranean and controlled the land routes to Asia, a sea route was needed. Portuguese sailors were working their way around the southern tip of Africa. Spain decided to gamble on a long sail across an unknown ocean. In return for bringing back gold and spices, they promised Columbus 10% of the profits, governorship <laughs> over newfound lands, and the fame that would go with a new title, Admiral of the Ocean Sea. He was a merchant's clerk from the Italian city of Genoa, part-time weaver, the son of a skilled weaver, and expert sailor. He said... He was actually the illegitimate son of a Portuguese prince. Damn bones, damn bones, damn butcher bones. He set out with three sailing ships, the largest of which was the Santa Maria, perhaps a hundred feet long, 
and 39 crew members. Columbus would never have made it to Asia, which was thousands of miles farther away than he had calculated, imagining a smaller world. He would have been doomed by that great expanse of sea, but he was lucky. One-fourth of the way there, he came upon an unknown, uncharted land that lay between Europe and Asia, the Americas. It was early October, 1492, and 33 days since he and his crew had left the Canary Islands off the Atlantic coast of Africa. Now they saw branches and sticks floating in the water. They saw flocks of birds. These were signs of land. Then, on October 12th, a sailor called Rodrigo saw the early morning moon shining on white sands and cried out. It was an island in the Bahamas, the Caribbean Sea. The first man to sight land was supposed to get a yearly pension of 10,000 maravedis for life, but Rodrigo never got it. Columbus claimed he had seen a light the evening before. He got that reward. So, approaching land, they were met by the Arawak Indians who swam out to greet them. The Arawaks lived in village communes, had a developed agriculture of corn, yams, cassava. They could spin and weave, but they had no horses or work animals. They had no iron, but they wore tiny gold ornaments on their ears. This was to have enormous consequences. It led Columbus to take some of them aboard ship as prisoners because he insisted that they guide him to the source of the gold. He then sailed to what is now Cuba, then to Hispaniola, the island which today consists of Haiti and the Dominican Republic. There, bits of visible gold in the rivers and a gold mast presented to Columbus by a local Indian chief led to wild visions of gold fields. In Hispaniola, out of the timbers from the Santa Maria, which had run aground, Columbus built a fort, the first European military base in the Western Hemisphere. He called it Navidad, Christmas, and left 39 crew members there with instructions to find and store the gold. He took more Indian prisoners and put them aboard his two remaining ships. At one part of the island, he got into a fight with Indians who refused to trade as many bows and arrows as he and his men wanted. Two were run through with swords and bled to death. Then the Nina and the Pinta set sail for the Azores and Spain. When the weather turned cold, the Indian prisoners began to die. Columbus's report to the court in Madrid was extravagant. He insisted he had reached Asia, 
it was Cuba, and an island off the coast of China, Hispaniola. His descriptions were part fact, part fiction. Hispaniola is a miracle. Mountains and hills, plains and pastures are both fertile and beautiful. The harbors are unbelievably good, and there are many wide rivers of which the majority contain gold. There are many spices and great mines of gold and other metals. The Indians, Columbus reported, quote, are so naive and so free with their possessions that no one who has not witnessed them would believe it. When you ask for something they have, they never say no. To the contrary, they offer to share it with anyone. He concluded his report by asking for a little help from their majesties, and in return, he would bring them from his next voyage, quote, as much gold as they need, and as many slaves as they ask. He was full of religious talk. Quote, Thus, the eternal God, our Lord, gives victory to those who follow his way over apparent impossibilities. Because of Columbus's exaggerated report and promises, his second expedition was given 17 ships and more than 1,200 men. The aim was clear. Slaves and gold. They went
shows none of the original Arawaks or their descendants left on the island. Jesus. The chief source, and on many matters, the only source of information about what happened on the islands after Columbus came is Bartolome de las Casas, who, as a young priest, participated in the conquest of Cuba. For a time, he owned a plantation on which Indian slaves worked, but he gave that up and became a vehement critic of Spanish cruelty. Las Casas transcribed Columbus's journal and in his 50s began a multi-volume history of the Indies. In it, he describes the Indians. They are agile, he says, and can swim long distances, especially the women. They are not completely peaceful because they do battle from time to time with other tribes, but their casualties seem small, and they fight when they are individually moved to do so because of some grievance, not on the orders of captains or kings. Women in Indian society were treated so well as to startle the Spaniards. Las Casas describes sex relations. Marriage laws are Men and women alike choose their mates and leave them as they please without offense, jealousy, or anger. They multiply in great abundance. Pregnant women work to the last minute and give birth almost painlessly. Up the next day, they bathe in the river and are as clean and healthy as before giving birth. If they tire of their men, they give themselves abortions with herbs that force stillbirths, covering their shameful parts with leaves or cotton cloth. Although on the whole, Indian men and women look upon total nakedness with as much casualness as we look upon a man's head or at his hands. <clears throat> the Indians, Las Casas says, have no religion, at least no temple. They live in a large communal bell-shaped building, housing up to 600 people at one time. They have very strong wood and roofed with palm leaves. They prize bird feathers of various colors beads made of fish bones, and green and white stones with which they adorn their ears and lips. But they put no value on gold or other precious things. They lack all manner of commerce, neither buying nor selling, and rely exclusively on their natural environment for maintenance. They are extremely generous with their possessions, and by the same token, covet the possessions of their friends and expect the same degree of liberality. 
In book two of his History of the Indies, Lacassus, who at first urged the Atlantic Indians to slaves, thinking they were stronger and would survive, but later relented when he saw the effects on blacks, tells about the treatment of the Indians by the Spaniards. It is a unique account and deserves to be quoted at length. Quote, Endless testimonies prove the mild and pacific temperament of the natives, but our work was to exasperate, ravage, kill, mangle, and destroy. Small wonder that if they tried to kill one of us now and then, the admiral, he could, was blind as those who came after And he was so anxious to please the king that he committed irreparable crimes against the Indians. Las Casas tells how the Spaniards, quote, grew more conceited every day, and after a while refused to walk any distance. They, quote, rode the backs of Indians if they were in a herd, or were carried on hammocks by Indians running in relays, quote. In this case, they also had Indians carrying large leaves to shade them from the sun, and others to fan them with food Total control led to total cruelty. The Spaniards, quote, nothing of nice Indians by tens and twenties, and of cutting slices off them to test the sharpness of their blades. Las Casas tells how, quote, two of these so-called Christians, each carrying the parents, they took the parents and for fun beheaded the boys. What? The Indians' attempts to defend themselves failed, and when they ran off into the hills, they were found and killed. So, let's talk about reports. Quote, they suffered and died of the mines and other labors in desperate silence, knowing not a soul in the world to whom they could turn for He describes their work in the mines, quote, mountains are switched from top to bottom and bottom to top, Thousand times they dig, split rocks, move stones, and carry dirt on their backs to wash it in the river. While those who are gold stay in the water all the time with their backs bent so constantly as green. And when water invades the mines, the most arduous test of all is to dry the mines by scooping up hands full of water and throwing it up outside. After each six or eight months' work in the mine, which was the time required of each crew to dig enough gold for melting, up to a third of the men died. While the men were sent many miles to the mine, the wives remained to work the Forced into the excruciating journey of digging and digging thousands of hills for photography. The husbands and wives were together only once every eight or ten months, and when they met, they were so exhausted and depressed on both sides, they ceased to procreate. As for the newly birth, they died early because their mothers, overworked and famished, had no milk to nurse them, and for this reason, while I was in Cuba, 7,000 children died in three months. Some mothers even drowned their babies from sheer desperation. In this way, husbands died in need, wives died at work, and children died from lack of milk. In a short time, this land, which was so great, so powerful, and perfect, was deeper. 
my eyes have seen these acts so foreign to human nature, and now I tremble as I write. When he arrived on Pisaniola in 1508, there were 60,000 people living in the town.